This is the Gate Charlotte Podcast. You're listening to a message by Pastor John Matthews. I was reading a scripture this morning. I just want to share it with you really quick. Proverbs chapter 3. I love reading from some of the writings from Solomon. It's just so filled with wisdom. And Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9, he says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. And the first fruits of all your increase. Everybody say, honor the Lord, honor the Lord. with your possessions <laughs> and with first fruits <laughs> of all your increase. <laughs> so I just want to real quickly say a couple things about this. I don't believe that when it says honor the Lord with your possessions, that it means give away your possessions. I've heard that taught, and that's like, um, I, I believe that there may be a time where the Lord tells you to give something away, and I've done that myself. And, but I don't believe that's what it's talking about. I believe the honor the Lord with your possessions means steward well what the Lord's given you. Amen? And so, I, but the second piece is about giving. When it goes into the second piece and it says, uses this terminology, the first fruits, what it is really doing is it's just a really practical way of saying, making God first in what you give. Amen? Sorry, I can't see if there's anyone in this church with these lights in my eyes up here this morning. I said making God first with our giving. I, I, I'm not, we're not going like, to call you up and make you give in front of everybody. Don't worry if you're getting anxious. We're going somewhere, though. So he talks about this thing with the first fruits. And too often what we do with God and what I see people do and what I've made the mistake of doing is so often we give to God from down here. Well, let's make it practical, right? We get our paycheck, we pay our bills, we get our groceries, we go out to eat, we do our life, we go on dates, we do this, and offering. And God said, give to me from the first fruits. And here's what happens if you do. Verse 10, he says, so your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. Come on, can I get an amen? So what he's saying is, he says, here's the deal. If you'll actually give to me from the first fruits, it will determine the rest of what happens under that. How many of you know that I want to filter my life through the finances of heaven? I don't want to be bound to earth's finances and economics. I don't even watch the news, quite frankly. I'm not interested in it. I just pray. And, and so we've got first fruits, and I want to give to him here so that he takes all of this and says, watch what I can do. Because it's so much better than what I can do with it. And so when we give this morning, I want us to lean into this place of being first fruits people because how many of you know that we need, we want to advance the kingdom, Amen. I heard a statement recently that um, I'll probably offend somebody with it, but here it's here the whole context, and it was this: It's extremely selfish of a believer to not want more. It's extremely selfish of a believer to not want more. What does that mean? Have you ever seen somebody in need and you really wish you were in a place where you could help them? I, there's been so many people so many times when they're in a place and maybe they don't have the money to get groceries. Maybe their cars broke down, whatever that looks like. And so many times we're in a place where we look at that and say, oh, I just wish I was in a place where I could step up and meet that need. 
That's what we're talking about when I say that it's selfish to not want more. The kingdom of God, the people of God, we should always be pressing in for more. Why? Not for just me. To be able to advance the kingdom. So when someone comes around and says, hey, I have a need, I can say, oh, I got that for you. I remember hearing Bill Johnson say one time he was talking about... um, a missionary that would always sit down around the table with all these children and he said that they'd sit down around the table and they didn't have any food and they would what they do they'd pray and every time they prayed there would be a miracle by the end of the prayer someone would knock on the door and have food standing at their door that's a super cool miracle how many know though it'd be super cool to be on the other side of the door with the food <laughs> like, I've, I've been on the other side of the door more than once, and someone showed up at my door, literally, when it was needed. But I want to live from a place where I'm on the other side of the door knocking, saying, what can I do for you? That's what happens when we say, Lord, I want to put the first fruits here so that you can bless the rest. One more passage, and then I'm done. This mini-sermon. Psalm 119, verse 17 says, deal with your servant bountifully. Everybody say, Bountifully that I may live and keep thy word. This is a cool scripture. What is he saying? God, I need you to pour out abundance on me so that I can do all that you've called me to do. Everything that's in my heart, I need you to pour out abundance. A a lot. (laughs) It's the uh, John Matthews translation. How many of you want to be the person that just can, when someone has a need, I got an answer. Come on, that's, that's nothing. There's not, that's called kingdom. <laughs> that's called kingdom. And so we're going to bless you. We're going to pray over you. So if you would, just stand up real quick. The ushers can come down. And we're going to bless you guys this morning. We've heard some testimonies. But we've been having a lot of testimonies. This painting is still up here. But this painting was a testimony that was a phenomenal breakthrough of someone that was leaning in for a financial miracle for like 10 years or something. Ten, something like that. Um, uh, he's not in here right now, but the Wheelers, they just got a new house. And we've been, decla- we've been declaring and releasing and some of the offerings we've been feeling to release homes over people. And we're seeing that. So I believe when we do this, I expect miracles. Like when I, when I lean into my offering, there's nothing that's just a pattern about this. For me, it's expecting miracles. So I'm going to pray over you as we give this morning. So in Jesus' name, I thank you for this wonderful group of the children of God, Father. And I pray abundant increase over them, Lord. And I would pray that we would be a people that can get our hearts where we say, I want to give to you off the top, Jesus. You are only worthy of the top. You're not worthy. Anything below that is not worthy for you. So we want to be a people that give off the top. But, Lord, we want to be a people that we can advance the kingdom. We want to be the answer to other people's questions. We want to be the resource to the prayer that they're praying that they have needs. Father, I bless everyone here. I pray over those that are believing for a home. We, we again, we release homes over those people that they would be in this market. They would be shocked at what they get these homes for, Father. Or you just give them all the resources they need, however you want to do it. We're good. We pray blessings, increase in favor over everybody here in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, say amen. All right, you can sit down. While they're doing that, I have one announcement. I'm going to jump into my sermon and try to be really quick because i got a lot to talk about. How many are Friday night worship night? That was, that was, how about that? That was pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. So we have, um, one of the things that we haven't done in a little while, we took a little break through the holidays 
But one of the things that we have done for a while now is we do what's called a great house project. And, and if you're new to this house or you've only been here for three to six months, you may not even know what this is. So I'm going to explain it real quickly about their passing the baskets. The first, typically the first week of every month, we take up a special offering. And it's basically to continue to improve the house of the Lord, to be able to facilitate what he's calling us to do. Um, when we started this, I think we've raised um, in-house, just within this house, something like $150,000 or so in a, in a year and a half. We've, we have no debt for any of the improvements. We have no, no debt on the building. We have, like, we're debt-free. Um, and we don't, we don't manipulate, we don't push. We're not going to give you a bottle of holy water if you give us $1,000. Like, we're not going to manipulate you. We believe God is so good, and he will bless you. But people have stepped up, and we're getting ready to step into probably actually one of the biggest price items we've ever had to purchase, and we have to purchase it. Um, our projector up here above our heads that no one ever really pays attention to, um, except for when it's off and you don't know what the words are, um, it, it's it's kick in the bucket it's it's uh, about 13 to 14 years old for technology that's like dog years it's like it's, it's like 80 years old in technology speaking um and what happens is is it's imagine it this way imagine if your eyes uh, uh, someone's losing their sight and their eyes are getting dimmer and we keep making the lights brighter in a room for you to see what they're doing with this thing is they're making it brighter and brighter and brighter to the point now it is as bright as she gets and it's still kicking the bucket. So I'm going to tell you these things can run. You would be shocked how much these things. You could buy a home for what some of these things cost. But the ones we're looking at um, go from about I'm going to give you a range of fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars for projectors. The reason they cost so much is see all these bright lights shining up here. They have to cut through all that. And it takes a lot. And so this is a big dollar item that we are asking for your support in. We're going to take up the offering next week because I wanted to give you a heads up. And um, we'd really like to get this by, if possible, by our conference, which is the end of April, which is only a month and a half away. And so we're going to believe God to just supply our needs, and we're going to go for it. Um, as in go for it, like we're not going to just buy it and hope it all comes in, but we're going to go for it and believe for it. And so I would challenge you, if this is home, if this is your house, consider partnering with us. This is, um, like I said, this is probably the priciest item we've ever purchased. And, um, but it's something we have to have. So, or we can just go back to hymnals and <laughs> open to page 375 this morning, please. <laughs> it was cheaper. <laughs> oh, they were good old pews. We went to a church. There was an outpouring in the late 90s that we went to down in Florida, and they had pews. Let me just say something. When God's moving and people are hitting the ground, those pews don't move. <laughs> and you hear somebody going down and just, you'd hear, Jesus, oh, you know, like, oh, now we got to pray healing for them too. Like, this, they got knocked out. So anyways, all right. Well, I'm going to talk to you this morning uh, on a topic that I actually, it hasn't been that long since we talked about this topic, but the Lord just said, hit it again. And usually when he says that, I just do it. So I want to talk to you this morning about the wilderness. And I want you to keep all your preconceived ideas away for a few minutes. Because I know that many of us think about the wilderness and it immediately is like, oh, the wilderness. 
right? I don't get a lot of, yes, wilderness sermon, you know? It's not a popular one, but it's, I think so often it's what our context of the wilderness is. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would just open our hearts, that we'd be able to receive from you. I pray over everybody in this room that, Father, you would do in their hearts what you need to do in their hearts. You see, I've learned sometimes we pray for breakthrough, and God's not trying to get something to break through. He's trying to get something in you. And sometimes we're praying our way out of it. And he's saying, I'm trying to work something into you. And I meet some people that have been believing for breakthrough for 10 years, and I'm like, well, maybe God's actually trying to get something across. Um, I want to lay out some context right up front. I don't believe God does bad things to his kids. Let's go ahead and get these right out front. I don't believe God will come in and ruin your business to teach you a lesson. You know, I've had people that one time said, God ruined, shut down our business that we poured into just to teach us how to be dependent. Oh, what a terrible lifestyle. I believe God is good. God is a provider. God's, he wants to provide for your needs, and he's looking out for you. I also believe, though, that God sometimes will use certain situations to try to teach us things. And I'm going to talk to you about what that all looks like this morning. But maturity, one of the things that we need to understand about maturity is that maturity is not developed in the absence of options. Maturity is not developed in the absence of options. You ever wondered why God put a tree in the middle of a perfect garden? That, because for them to become mature children, they had to have an option. I know this doesn't go with our optionless Christianity where we try to live in a bubble. And, but the reality is I, 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 I youth pastored for 15, 16 years, and I would meet some kids that were, like, so sheltered. And I, and I, I get it. You know, we want to make sure to pour into our kids, but they would be so sheltered. I'd be like, the moment they leave, they're going to be shocked because they've not had any options. My job is not to create an optionless world. My job is to equip my kids so that they know what to choose. A sign of a mature child is that God gives options, and we can choose the right ones. So maturity is not developed in an absence of options. Jesus demonstrated this whole different model. He demonstrated it from the, fa the Father God, demonstrated it from the very beginning. He put this tree there. People, it's, it's a confusing topic. It's like, it's just a place of freedom. And then there's this tree. I'm going to make you think a little this morning. In this place of complete freedom in the perfect, everybody's like, take us back to the garden. Woo! There's still an option. Because in the place of freedom, there will always be an option. In the place of freedom, there will always be options. <laughs> the topic of the wilderness is, and temptation is probably one we, we kind of walk around in church because it's not all that exciting. Um, it's not as exciting as when I can get up here and preach on, you know, miracles and power and all that. But the reality is, is that's actually the place that launches you into miracles, power, and all that fun stuff. And I could start you there, but the problem is, is that you're going to have to go through the wilderness first to get to where you want to get. And if we skip that, I'm, I'm doing an injustice to you. 
And, and so Jesus, here, here he is on earth. Jesus is, he's, he's perfect theology. He's a perfect representation of the Father, and he demonstrates a life where he had things he had to overcome. And so we're not going to walk around this this morning. We're just going to go ahead and, and go for it because I think it's just something that we don't understand. So we're going to take these, this topic and just break it down a little bit. But the reality is this. Wilderness is not optional. How many of you know, how many of you, if you've, if you've, besides maybe like Mikey and Carly's newborn who's like a few weeks old, how many know that wilderness happens in life? Everyone that's not raising their hand, please teach me what you know that I don't know. How many know that wilderness is not optional in life? It, it comes, it's there, it's with us, and the thing is, is what do we do with it? But conflict is only, listen to me, conflict in you know, the life of a believer is only permitted when you've been equipped to win. You got to get this. Conflict is only permitted if you've been equipped to win. Some people ask me, they're like, oh, I don't think I can make it. I'm like, I'm telling you, if you are equipped to win, you are a winner. You've got this. And conflict in our lives, that's, these, there's these kingdom rules where it's not allowed if we haven't been equipped to win it. And the best understanding that we have on this topic of the wilderness is looking at Jesus himself. Because Jesus, everything he did was, was our representation. It was our model. Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to earth and like come as a man, but every now and then get really frustrated and like pull out the God card and get away from it. Like he came and said, I want to walk this. I, have, I am still fully God, but I have set aside all of that to come and to demonstrate for every generation to come how to walk this earth. And so Jesus comes and here he is. He comes and he himself demonstrates there's a wilderness season. If you have your Bibles, uh, flip to Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to read a few scriptures. I'm going to go pr pretty quickly here and make sure I got the right scripture there. Double-checking something because there's a lot of genealogy right here. I'm not going to read. There it is. Okay, we're good. So when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heavens was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son of so it was thought of Joseph. Now I'm going to skip over to chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was led by who? Into the wilderness. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of him, he was hungry. Man, if y'all ever fasted, you know what that's about. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. 
And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It, is, it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered and said, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 9, and the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up in their hands and so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said, do not put your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This passage is a major, this, this, this section of scripture is a major piece in our Bible. This is a major piece in the life of Jesus because Jesus, you have to understand that Jesus came to earth with authority. There's, I don't have time to teach about all this, but there's actually authority in sending somebody. You got to get this. This is why when people go and hop from church to church to church trying to figure out how they get to do what they want to do, and then they do it outside of being sent, they don't actually walk in authority to do it. It's only when, 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 when you're sent. So many people just want to be went, and they're not sent. And, and it doesn't work that way. Because people come in and, you know, hey, I'm a prophet over the nations. I'm like, great. Who sent you? Jesus. Mm-hmm. Tell me who commissions you. See, because there's an authority in being sent. We have to be sent. That's why when pastors go through credentialing and ordination and they have a service, what do they do? They commission them. They say, I am sending you out now in authority to accomplish what you need to do. So when Jesus came to earth, when he came to earth, he had already been sent, which means he came with authority. But he didn't have power yet. He already had the authority he needed to do the job because the father sent him. But something had to happen before he could begin to step into the power that he needed. And it's really important that we don't ever try to accomplish the assignments on our life with authority and no power. It's, we, we need to walk in both. It's almost like, I've heard it said, a officer. The badge is the authority. The gun is the power. They have the badge. They need the gun. They need the gun. They need the badge. You can't walk one without the other in the kingdom. You need both. And Jesus came, and he came carrying authority, but something had to happen for him to step into the power that was needed to fulfill his assignment. Now, you'll notice that when we just read through that passage of Scripture through Luke chapter 4, the chapter 4, it says, When Jesus went into the wilderness, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? But it said he left with power. He entered the wilderness with the Holy Spirit. He exited with power. What does that mean? There was a process he had to go through. Even Jesus. Even Jesus. He said, remember, he came to demonstrate for you and I what this is going to look like for you. And he said, the only way I can fully do it is to walk in your shoes. And you can be sent. You can have the greatest call of God on your life. But it has to be developed. 
And he said, I even have to go into a place of wilderness for this to be developed. And so here he is. He was filled with power. But maturity is formed in the place of conflict. <laughs> maturity is formed in the place of conflict. Jesus went into the wilderness with, how do I say this? He went into the wilderness with the potential of power. Your car out there has the potential of power. Well, some of your cars. They may not. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going to make any jokes. Sorry. I just, my mind went there and I stay away from that. It's because it's smart. Doesn't mean it's powerful. That's all I'm saying. And so, <laughs> takes a lot, gas, a lot less gas than my truck, though. So, vehicles in that, uh, in that parking lot, they have the potential of power. But it's just potential until the right process happens that lights it up and then the power is released. Every child of God has the potential of power that is limitless. Limitless. But there is a process that has to light it up. And I know that we all wish it was the process of come down front, let me lay hands on you. Whoa! And then Monday happens. Oh, life stinks. Like, and then like, oh, I got to get back to service on Sunday. Whoa! That's not maturity. That's not maturity. That is, that is putting the weight of the world on someone else when God's saying, I want to work this thing into you. And then when you get it into you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to manifest in power. Jesus went into the desert filled with the Holy Spirit with the potential of power, but he had to go through a process so he could exit filled with power. And so Jesus goes into this, and, and the wilderness the wilderness can actually, it, it really does take what's potential in our lives and form it into reality. The wilderness is not bad. Thank you. Some people are like, I'm not going to say thank you because then I'm going to be in the wilderness. <laughs> Your lives are filled with potential. Every believer is packed full of promises and potential. But what is it that takes the potential? What is it takes that's in you and forms it into reality? Now. It's a process. I watched some of the most gifted people in the world come through sometimes. And they are just scared to death of the process. Because they know there are things in their lives that will be revealed. I have been friends with some of the most gifted people in the world that have had to go through the process of being reduced to strength. It's not bad. It's good. It's real good. But then you've got people that say, well, I've already, you know, I'm, I've already done my dues. <laughs> I've already done my dues. I've sat down with people that tell me that. I've already done my dues. And there's this, if you, yeah, yeah, then I guess you're done. The lie that we buy regarding the wilderness is that it's a place of misery. It's a place of fruitlessness. And it's like punishment from God. Those are what we believe about the wilderness. Here's one. I messed up somewhere. So he stuck me in the wilderness. But if you believe that, that means that God must have messed up somewhere. Jesus must have messed up somewhere. 
for that to stand true, that means that he messed up. No, he didn't mess up. And, and we have this belief that I'm in the wilderness and I, what did I do wrong? And, and, and that, that re- people have to wrestle with that. It's the best thing that I see happen with people that are gifted, man. They wrestle it out. Yeah. I can see it. They're, you know, I have many times myself had to wrestle things because I know what I'm called to do. I know what God's put on my life. And then I'm in the wilderness. Yeah. What's he doing? He's forming something. He's forming something beautiful that only comes through a place of being reduced to strength, not reduced to weakness, reduced to strength. You guys heard Jason Clark's sermon last week. When I'm weak, I'm strong. That was powerful. Watch the YouTube if you missed it. Go to our channel. But I, I, the, what's the point? I'm not reduced to weakness. I'm reduced to strength because when I'm reduced so often, everything that I'm leaning on, I meet people that can lean on their gifts. Man, they're good. And then I get to see, sometimes I see, like, what's really going on yeah. in their hearts. I thought, oh, you're just walking on that crutch called a, a gift. Sooner or later, the devil will pull that out from underneath you. You see, the devil, here's how the devil works. And I, I don't like to talk about the devil because he doesn't deserve our time on a Sunday morning. So I'm going to give him one minute. <laughs> what he will do, though, is he likes to get hooks in you. But he doesn't, he doesn't just pull you down right when he gets them. He's, he's, he's not that stupid. He'll make sure to wait until it's the most damage that he could cause. And he'll let these things get in you. And I watch people, he gets these hooks. And then when it's the right time, <laughs> And you see, the Lord, he says, I see what's going on. And you see, he wants to allow sometimes this process of things in our lives to be uprooted and to work in the stuff that he's already spoken into our lives. It's called the wilderness. And it's not bad. No season. Jesus was there for 40 days. 40 days. Even the wilderness, though, produced its fruit. You know, something that I would write down is no season in our life is ever permitted to be fruitless. It's always fruit being formed. And the reality of the wilderness is it's not some place outside of you. It's not where you live. It's, it's this place that everybody deals with. It's this thing that's inside of them. And the Holy Spirit, like I said earlier, he'll only lead you into conflict where you've been prepared to win. He wouldn't have allowed, he wasn't going to send Jesus in knowing he was going to fail. He knew he had this. He had it. He was good. And so here comes Jesus straight out of this massive moment. He's coming straight out of this baptism. Jesus' baptism was like, sure. Heavens, this said, ripped open. It means they, like, they literally like ripped. Oh, I don't know what that looks like. With all this rain we've had lately, I kind of feel like I understand what it's like. When, but the heavens ripped open, the voice of the Father. Imagine John the Baptist right about here. He's like, he was trying to tell Jesus, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus is like, John, just permitted to be so. If I were John, I'd be like. <laughs> you ever thought about the scripture with John the Baptist that said that he was baptizing people waiting for Jesus? Yeah. I mean, I don't know who's... <laughs> Nope. 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 
And, and, and so here he sees him, though. He sees Jesus coming from afar off. He recognizes this is the Son of God. He comes to him, and he wants him to baptize. Makes sense, right? And, and Jesus says, I need you to baptize me. John says, no, I can't. I, I, I can't even take the sandals off your feet. I'm not worthy. Jesus said, just do it. <laughs> and so he said, all right. He does it. He, he baptizes him. Heavens rip open. Father's voice is audibly heard. Dove flies down. And we're thinking, breakthrough, right? It's that awesome Sunday morning moment. Breakthrough! Now you're going to the wilderness. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, because I've been taught my whole life, I go through the wilderness to get to the breakthrough. I've been taught my whole life that I go through wilderness and wilderness and wilderness to get to the breakthrough. And Jesus said, breakthrough, had the breakthrough. Now we got to actually work the breakthrough in with the wilderness. And it's like, oh, some of you are so convinced. What do I do wrong every Monday? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Well, I can't say nothing, but (laughs) I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. Nothing, all right? (laughs) But you come into this place with Jesus and you have this wow moment, and then Monday comes, and it's like, well, I got an Instagram story. How bad my day is. And, and what is he doing? He's working that stuff, in the, what he did into you. I'm not saying he does all the bad. No, I already put my disclaimer at the beginning. But he takes what's going on, and he says, I got to work it into you. Jesus had big breakthrough. Wilderness. <laughs> I wonder how many of us would actually think the breakthrough didn't happen. I wonder how many of us, the breakthroughs, we have put them aside because we went straight into the wilderness and then said, well, I thought I had my breakthrough. I mean, I mean, really, some, I meet people and it's like, I thought I had my breakthrough and here we are again. Jesus got his and straight, I'm talking one-on-one with the devil. The dude that he cast out of heaven does not like him a lot. And what does he do? He comes to him and, and, and we begin to see this 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 interesting thing going on. But before I even get to that, let me just say this. I think something important for us to understand is the difference between trials and temptations. This is really, 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 really important. If you don't hear anything I say today, listen to this piece. If you don't understand when you read your Bible, it can actually look like it contradicts itself. For example, James 1.13, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Matthew 6.9, through 13, Jesus prays, lead us not into temptation. Now, wait a minute. Why would he be praying, don't lead us into this, if he doesn't tempt anyone? Maybe we don't understand something. Why would Jesus be praying that he would not be tempted by God if God doesn't tempt us? And let me show you something. There's five words in the New Testament that share the same root. This is my one piece of teaching. I am not a teacher. But there are five words that share the same Greek root word. It's prove examine, test, trials, and temptation. There's a big difference between some of those words. There's a big difference between the word prove and temptation. There's a big difference between examine and trials. But so often, these five words get interchanged in your Bible due to translations. And the thing that we have to understand is that James 1.13, when you look at it in the right context, the interpretation actually means that God will not lead us into trials, not temptation. 
You still with me? Hang in there. There is a difference. Trials are a process that we go through. When I look at trials, I don't look at it as like God has stuck me in trials again. Trials are part of life. It's called will. It's called free will. With free will, there's trials. God doesn't control my neighbor. So if my neighbor does something that impacts me, I get stuck with the trial of having to deal with that. God didn't orchestrate all of this. Some people are like, my door won't open. God's trying to teach me something. My door won't open. I don't, I don't go that way. I don't look at it as everything like God's trying to force something down my throat. But trials happen. Trials are part of a world where people have free will. You're going to go through them. Here's the thing about God and trials. I see God as almost like a coach that's walking right next to you. And he's near. The Bible says he's near. He's with you. And I see him like, you got this. You got this. Come on. Come on. See, that's a trial. It's not the same. When we encounter temptation, though, when certain things happen with temptation, God always offers a way to overcome it. He doesn't, he doesn't put us in this thing so it takes us under. Temptation and trials are not the same. Remember when Jesus was praying and he said, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Jesus knew he was getting ready to go through one of the biggest, the biggest trial he would ever walk on earth. He was in a, I think we lose the humanity of Jesus sometimes. We read these scriptures and we're like, well, he's God. He'll be okay. He knew what he was facing. He was in the last hours before he was getting ready to be hung on a cross. And he is in almost in a place of, I'm not going to say desperation, but he was hurting. And he said, God, if it's your will, please take this cup from me. He was getting ready to go through a trial that it had to happen. He was going to win. But God wasn't going to come in and take it away. So many people are praying for breakthroughs so often when I think that God's trying to teach us something. It's getting quiet. In trials, God will give you the strength needed to endure. But he doesn't always offer a supernatural escape door. We have to walk them. Temptation is not bad. It produces powerful people. Temptation will actually, how do I say this? Temptation actually proves you. <laughs> how do I say I've got a pickup truck. And it, I don't know how much it pulls, but let's just throw out a number. 2,000 <laughs> It's not a Chevy, all right? <laughs> so... Uh, just lost all my Chevy drivers right there, and everybody's screaming. So, it's a. I'm gonna say ten thousand pounds just because of that. But let's let's just throw out a number. I'll say ten thousand because it's easy. If I want to show off what my truck can do, I'm gonna pull around eight, nine, ten thousand pounds because I'm gonna prove that it can do what it's supposed to do. I'm not gonna go hook up to something that's twenty thousand pounds and destroy my truck because then I'm proving what it can't do. God doesn't want to prove to you what you can't do. He wants to prove to you what you can do. He's not trying to get you in the middle of something so he can prove to you who you are not. He's trying to get you to a place where he can prove to you who you are. And people are like, Lord, just, I mean, I don't, I, I, 
there's prayers that we pray, and I don't know if they're really that legal in heaven. It's like always like, Lord, just get rid of more of me and more of me. And he's like, I'm trying to build up you, build up you, build up you. I want you to be a powerful believer. Greater is he that's in you. And so he's not trying to break you. He's not tempting you to say, oh, I knew you couldn't take that. Now we know your breaking point. What good father would like try to destroy their kid? Now I know your breaking point. I want to know what my kids are, how strong they are. I can say, look what you did. I didn't know I could do that. I know what they can handle. I, I can push them right to the edge and say, and they do it. And then when they say, I didn't know I could do that. See, God's trying to get you to the point in these temptations where he says, watch this. And you go through it. And he said, I didn't know I could do that. And he's saying, that's who you are. That's who you are. Come on. That's who you are. He's trying to work into you who you are, not who you are not. And so here comes the devil, and he begins to, he's in this wilderness situation, and he's coming against Jesus. And, and it's, to sum it up really quickly, the very first thing the devil does, we all think about three temptations, but there are four, because the first one is if you're the son of God. Identity is always the first thing the enemy will go after with you. It's always the first thing. When, when you begin to get attacked, he'll, well, if you're, you know, if you're such a power-filled believer comes to Jesus that's a that's a pretty strong move he's talking to Jesus here if you're the son of God he immediately challenges identity Jesus isn't even phased by it then he goes right into the different challenges and he goes into all these different things and it's an interesting approach that the devil's taking because I'm gonna I'm gonna show you a little secret here he's using the same approach on believers today you wanna know what he does he misinterpreted scripture that's right. He said the scripture, and Jesus came back and said, uh-uh, that's not what it means. It means this. I'm letting that sink in because I can see some of you like, hmm. But one of the greatest tools that the devil uses against the children of God is to get you to believe what scripture doesn't mean. Because then you just take it hook, line, and sinker because it's scripture. The devil came to Jesus and quoted scripture at him, but Jesus said, that's not what it means. Here's what it means. And it came right back at him. Anytime we begin interpreting scripture outside of identity, it will always release shame, confusion, and doubt. Your interpretation of scripture can actually benefit the devil more than you if you read it in the wrong context. This is why understanding scripture is so important. So important. And I do not claim to know it all. I sure don't. But it is a high priority for me to understand things. Why, when people say, why, if God's good, why do bad things happen? Those questions that Christians are like, well, I don't know, but God is good. That's not what I asked. Can I stray from my notes just a second? The church has a real unhealthy habit of answering questions that people aren't asking. They ask questions, and then we don't know the answer, so we give an answer to what they're not asking. Well, that's really not what I asked. I was asking how to fix my marriage. That had nothing to do with that. But God's good. 
You see, God wants us to be in a place where we can read our Bible and through it we see the goodness of the Father. When you read this, it gives life. If it doesn't give life, you're doing something wrong. It gives life. People say, well, how's that the same God that did that? And then in the New Testament, same God did that. You got to read about how covenants work. He didn't want to do it. <laughs> I don't have time for this, but I got to say it. When the Lord came into relationship, he's always been in relationship through, the, through what's called covenants. Okay. When you come into a relationship with the Father, you're only coming in through Jesus. Amen. you got to get that. Some, some people don't understand that. That's pretty foundational. Amen. You can't bypass Jesus. Amen. He's the mediator of this covenant. Imagine it in a marriage, because that's what we know the term covenant in, right? Everyone in this room knows I made a covenant with my spouse. When I come into a relationship with Jesus, the Bible calls it a marriage, a groom and a bride. When I marry into this relationship, I now have access to all the benefits in the family because yep. I'm in covenant yep. now. I'm in covenant. Jesus has always wanted to be in covenant with his kids. And all throughout your scripture, he offers so often these great opportunities. He comes to them and he just wants to be in a relationship. He wants to bless them. And because of their way of thinking, they're like, well, we need rules we need disciplinary actions. So I want you to do that part. And God's like, I just want to be in relationship with you. But we want rules. We need them. So that's what we're doing. We're welcoming you into this relationship, but you're the one that's going to have the rules and the disciplinary actions and all that. And so what happens? God steps into these relationships throughout all these different covenants that we lead. Mosaic, Abrahamic, go through all of them all the way up to the new covenant. And he gets to be the guy that has to be the discipliner. Anybody that's a parent knows, I don't want to be just the discipliner. That's the worst. Like, and, you know, when you come home, it's like, uh, dad's waiting to discipline you. I'm like, oh, I just got home. And I don't want to discipline him when I just get home. And mom's like, I'm done. I'm like, all right, I got it. And it's like, that's how God felt. He's like, the only time I'm getting involved is to discipline. Because that's what you wanted me to do. And it broke his heart. When you see passages that said, God did this and this and this, he was doing what they welcomed him into relationship with. He said, this is what we need you to do. Here's your part in the relationship. And he said, I didn't want that. I wanted to be your friend. I wanted to be... I wanted to be one with you. Well, we're not comfortable with that. So you can just be the rules guy. So finally, after however many years go by, God says, that's enough of that. We're doing this new covenant. And in this new covenant, uh uh-uh, I am not just the disciplinary guy. I'm going to be in a relationship with you. And we're going to walk together again. So you got to get this, because if you don't understand that, you say, well, then why was God in the Old Testament bad? In the New Testament, good. But then we say God's always good. You see how important it is? Yeah. I know I'm, I'm jumping off into a whole different realm, and we're going to wrap it up in like 10 minutes tops. 
right? All right. Shorter than Jordan's 10 seconds earlier. So <laughs> I told him that was a Pentecostal 10 seconds right there. <laughs> 10 seconds. We're going on like three minutes. Five more seconds. <laughs> it's that church of God upbringing, son. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love my man Jordan. <laughs> People often make some really poor decisions because of their interpretation of Scripture. The devil here, he's basically coming to Jesus and misinterpreting Scripture. And Jesus said, that, ah, I know what it means. <laughs> Let's bring this in for a landing. Jesus responded all three times. He said, it's written. It's written. It's written. The very thing the devil was trying to use to question Jesus actually became the very thing that solidified that he was Jesus. The wilderness is a place that will solidify your identity in God. It's a place that when you come out, you know who you are. It's a place where when you go in, you got a lot of questions. I, I know when someone's going into the wilderness because they got that question look in their eyes like, what is going on in my world right now? And I can see it in their face, and I'm like, hang in there. And you know when you meet them because they come out, and they're like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. It's the place where the, the God has put all these different ingredients in your life to make a beautiful recipe, and the heat cooks it, and it makes you into something beautiful. Let's finish on this. When Jesus came out of the wilderness, he came out in power. The wilderness didn't weaken him. The wilderness confronts lies that you believe about yourself. It forces you to look them down straight in the eye. The lies that you've been hanging on to, even if you've attached them to a scripture reference that you don't understand. And Jesus walks out filled with power. But notice this. After Jesus leaves the wilderness, let me show you something nobody reads on to. Should have left my Bible open. Luke chapter 5. I think it's verse 16. So after that, we'll go to Luke chapter 5, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him. And, he, and be healed of their sickness. Verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. Amen. Something that Jesus would do is Jesus would actually withdraw the very place. That's not the scripture I was looking for, actually. It ties into it, but it's not the one. Apologize. I'll see if I can find it. The very wilderness that Jesus came through, he would often withdraw to go back and pray. What's the point? After you go through the wilderness, it's not scary anymore. Jesus overcame it. Jesus doesn't give over any ground to the enemy. He takes it and he owns it. I guess if I'm sharing anything this morning is that maybe God's goal is bigger for you than just to escape the wilderness. 
maybe he's trying to build something into you while you're there. champion you but he's also good enough to let you learn how to make choices a lot of you right now have we, we've been going through a season where um, I have actually never probably seen so many people going through the wilderness at least in my leadership team at the same time and there was like this really just big season of a lot of wilderness going on you could feel it And I feel like it's broader than just a lot of people in, my, in, in the leadership circle. I feel like there's a lot more people that are going through it. And this morning's message is to bring hope. It's that the wilderness is not a bad place, that you've been disciplined and sent off to the die in the sandy deserts of wilderness. It's like the picture, all right? When I say wilderness, you're like, there it is, sandy deserts of doom. It's the wilderness. It's punishment. No. No. It's a place where God says, you're going to step into the fullness of who you are. Let's stand up. Father, we love you. We love you so much. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for being here with us this morning. We thank you for the encouragement in the room. We thank you for the love that we feel. We thank you that, Lord, that you don't take us through temptations, Lord, to try to prove what we are not. You are trying to prove what we are. You're bringing us to a place where you're saying, look at what you can do. Look at what you can do. I'm speaking that over some of you this morning that you are in that place and I'm speaking to you that he is going, he is showing you what you can do. <laughs> I remember hearing, last time AJ preached, he made this remark about um, he helps people with uh, part of his job is people buy cars and they don't know what their cars do. You know, all these buttons and some of you, maybe your car isn't like that, but you know what I mean? Like they're, they're like, I don't know what that does and so they called his company. And he walks them through it. They say, I didn't even know my car could do that. There's so many people that are sitting in this room right now that you're so filled with potential. And God, when he, the light bulb comes on, when you go through the process, you say, I didn't even know I could do that. I'm believing for that. I believe that's where we're stepping into. I am going to prophesy real quickly because I feel like there are a number of you that are coming out of the wilderness. I feel it really strong. So um, I can't say this is for everybody in the room, but there are a group of people in here that you have been going through the wilderness for like three to six months. Some of you longer, but I feel like a real strong three to six months. You've been going through wilderness and you're starting to come out on the other side. And Jesus, although he came out in power, he did come out tired. It said that ministering angels came and ministered to him. So don't feel bad if you're tired. It's not a problem. But right now, I speak over those of you that that's you. I do right now. I release the same ministering angels to come and to give you strength, renewal, 
refreshing that right now you're going to feel the weeks, the months of what has been taken from you to be refilled, to be refilled. And I pray that as you're coming out, that some of you are coming out, that the revelation of who he is and who you are in him would be so great, would be so great. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I don't normally do this right here, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, this is one of those, now there's a difference between being in the wilderness as a child of God and then just trying to do life on your own. Two can't be confused. If you're not in a relationship with a father and you're just trying to plow through life on your own and it's really bad, that's not what I'm talking about. That's called you need to come into relationship with a good father. And so before we wrap it up this morning, I'm just going to ask if there's anyone here that says, hey, I need to just, just take step one, which is just say, I want to come into relationship with the God that you're talking about. You've heard it many other ways. But you haven't heard it in this light. If there's anyone in this room, I'm not going to embarrass you, okay? But if there's anyone in this room that says, I need to make that first step, I just want you to raise your hand. Okay. Anyone else? Thanks. Thanks. So here's what we're going to do. If you raise your hand, I'm, I'm not a big fan of public repentance prayers at the end. So we're going to have a prayer team up front. And if you raise your hand, you need to come down and pray with them. And they're going to walk you through it. You need to let them know, I raised my hand, that I want to take the first step of coming into a relationship with the Lord. And um, the reason that I feel like that's important is I feel like you need to make it yours. Okay? You need to make it yours. So, Lord, I bless everybody in this house. I'll just welcome the prayer team up this morning while I'm closing out. Lord, we bless everyone in this house. Father, I, those that have been going through the wilderness, I speak encouragement, hope over them. And... Something new I learned is it's heaven's justice. I heard this, this is called three R's. Repentance, restoration, and reconciliation. Those three. That's heaven's justice. I release that over everyone in this room. That heaven's justice would be there in any area it's needed. In Jesus' name, amen.